I have some good news for you. We finally made it to the Bible. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with me on this long and arduous journey through the introduction to the New Testament. Uh, as I was thinking about our journey, it reminded me of a story. And the story was about a little boy. And this little boy was sitting on his couch and he was just terribly bored. Nothing to do. And so he was just sitting there. His father saw what was going on. He said, son, come on with me. I'm going to take you on a journey. And I promise you that you will be excited about the end. I promise it will be worth it in the end. You'll be excited about getting to the, the final destination. So the boy said, well, you know what? I'm bored here. I've got nothing to do, so I'll, I'll go on this journey with you. So he gets up, and they just happened to outside their house. They had a, a nice ravine down the back, and then a, a mountainous area and a forest. And so they went on this journey. And they went down, and then they went back up the side of this mountain, and then they got to the top, and they went back down. They went over a creek. They went into a cave, and, and they just got on this long plain, and they were traveling, you know, beautiful countryside, but a long journey, a long trip. And so this boy, he started getting tired, and he was hungry, and he was just, he was just completely exhausted. And eventually the, they, they continue on their journey, and they go through another cave and, and in another creek and then back up another mountain. By the time they get halfway up this second mountain, the boy is just done. I mean, he's sick and tired, and he's starting to get angry with his father because his father took him up this, this journey once again, and it's just it's terrible for him. I mean, he wants to be done. And so that, that's where the boy's at. Well, the, the father says, you know what? I promise you, the end of the journey, it'll be worth it in the end. So they finish up that last mountain. They start on the way back down, and the boy sees a beautiful sight. He sees his home. And so he rushes back down to his home and he goes inside and he grabs as much dinner as he can get and he rushes upstairs and he has a shower and then he comes back downstairs and he sits on his couch. And it's a beautiful thing. And I was thinking about our journey and, and how I've dragged you all the way through this sixth lesson introduction and, and now we're back to where we should have started in the first place. And, and I hope that as we get into the New Testament now, you feel excited and ready and as we go through it, then there will be some things that will be just, it'll make more sense to you, you know, it'll, it'll come alive. And that is our goal. And so let's pray and then we'll get into the lesson tonight. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the Bible. And Lord, I pray that as we just do a, a, a brief overview of the book of Matthew, that you would teach us some things, Lord, that you would um, help us understand your word better. And Lord, that you convict our hearts if we need it. Uh, and Lord, whatever you plan to do tonight, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work freely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been introducing for a while, and Pastor said it's going to be an introduction to the book of Matthew. The truth is, in one sense, every lesson from this point on will be kind of like an introduction. Okay? Because what we're doing is, we're looking at each book. And we're not going to be able to go through books expositionally. We're not going to be able to go through and say, this is every lesson the book teaches. But we want to get like a whole overview of the books. What the books are about. You know, get the feel for them. Who they're written to. Why they were written. What's the purpose behind them. What are we supposed to learn from them overall? And so that's what we'll be doing with the book of Matthew tonight. So we'll start with the author of the book. Can anybody guess what the, who the author of the book of Matthew was? Alta, you're on the ball tonight. It was Matthew. Absolutely. Matthew is the book. His, also, his name was also Levi. And so if you're going through the Gospels and you find someone named Levi, that is also Matthew. Okay? Matthew in his book calls himself Matthew. 
uh, Luke and Mark called him Levi. And most likely he just had two different names. A lot of people did that back then. As we look at the book, just like the other Gospels, the, the author is not named as the author within the book. Um, his name appears in the title, The Gospel According to Matthew. Uh, I titled actually the lesson, The Gospel According to a Jewish Bureaucrat. That's who Matthew was. Um, but we know that he was the author for a couple reasons. First of all, because all of the early church fathers unanimously claim his, his, Matthew as the author. Okay, and this is significant because a lot of them were writing even, you know, 115 A.D. Ignatius wrote then. And so to say that he's the author within 50 years of his writing it and have everybody agree on that, it's very powerful evidence. There's also, I mean, there's no reason to lie about Matthew being the author because nobody would think of Matthew as having the ultimate authority. Okay, if you were going to lie and say somebody wrote it, you'd say Paul or James or Peter. or You'd pick one of the more important guys. Matthew was a guy that he's really not talked a lot, a lot about in the Gospels. And so it is fairly clear, scholars agree, that he wrote it. A quick biography of Matthew. Uh, Matthew was a publican in Capernaum. And so in Matthew chapter 10, verse 3, we find him as a publican. And what that means is that he worked for the Roman government. His job was to go to all of the Jewish businesses and all of the Jewish people and collect the taxes that they owed to the Roman government. So if you remember, the Roman government, their main concern, especially with Palestine, was just that they received the taxes and that peace was kept. And as long as that was happening, they were happy. And so they would hire people like Matthew, and they would be Jews who would be hired by the Roman government to go to their own people to collect money for a couple reasons. First of all, because the hatred of the Jews would be turned toward that person who is now a traitor. Okay? They're siding with the enemy to collect money. And so they would hate that person instead of directly hating the Roman government. And so Matthew was one of these guys. He was a traitor. He was disloyal to his people. He was dishonest because how they made their money, the reason that Matthew was probably very wealthy and very powerful... It was because when he collected taxes, if somebody owed 10 bucks, he would say, hey, give me 12. And so he would ask for more money. He'd be collecting more money off the people who were already poor. And so he was a very hated guy in Capernaum. But he was also a very capable person. You would not be given this job unless you were capable, unless you were literate, unless you were intelligent, unless you could keep things in order, and you were able to keep the peace. And so this is who Matthew is. Matthew met Jesus while Jesus was in Capernaum. Now, one thing that we don't know, or that's not as clear about Jesus' life, is that he was born in Bethlehem, he was raised in Nazareth, but by the time he started his ministry, he moved to Capernaum. And so for the three years we know Jesus, his, if he had a home, and he said at one point that he didn't have a home, that foxes don't have, you know, birds don't have nests, and foxes don't have holes, and and, and so he doesn't have, a, the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. I'm br- brutalizing that verse, but he's saying he didn't have a home. But if he did have a home, it would have been Capernaum. What that means is that Matthew is probably his tax collector. He would go and pay, and, and so he probably met Jesus before that way. Well, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, and also, also in Luke chapter 5, we have the record of how Jesus comes and he sees him collecting taxes, and he says, Matthew, I want you to be my disciple. And it says Matthew gets up and he leaves everything that he has and he follows Jesus. And the very next thing that he does is that he throws a party at his house. 
And Matthew, probably a very wealthy guy, had lots of publican friends, lots of sinful friends, invites them all to his house. Jesus goes to the party, and Matthew, immediately after following, after following Jesus as his disciple, says, I want my friends to hear about this. Everybody, come over. And Jesus, I mean, the Jewish leaders hate that he had done this. The Jewish leaders hate that Jesus showed up at a place like that. But again, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And so he loved Matthew, he called Matthew to be his disciple, and he was very willing to go to see Matthew's friends and, and try and get them, them saved too. So that's who Matthew is. The date and the place of the book. There's the author. The date and the place of the book. It was probably written between AD 60 and 70. Okay, that's the majority of conservative scholars, that's what they say. There's a few other theories that would put it, it way after 70 or even before 60, but... Generally, that's probably when it was written. It doesn't really matter that much, um, but it was probably also written from Jerusalem or Antioch in Syria. The purpose of the book. The purpose of the book of Matthew was to present Jesus as the promised Messiah and King. The promised Messiah and King from the Old Testament is Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And that was Matthew's purpose. And we see that many times in the book. Now, if we were just to take the, the Gospels and separate them into, three, into four, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We talked about last week how all of these books together give us a full picture of, the new, of who Jesus was in the New Testament. So if we want to understand who Jesus was, we get all these different views of him. So the question is, what does Matthew bring to the table? Okay, what does Matthew teach about Jesus what does Matthew emphasize about Jesus that is different from the rest of the gospel writers? And, that, and it is this. Matthew emphasizes that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. One author says, Matthew makes so many connections with the Old Testament. It forms a bridge between the old and the new, between prophecy and fulfillment, between the law and the gospel, between Israel and the church. And this is how Matthew functions. Okay? It is this bridge. You read the Old Testament, you have the foundation. And there's this expectation of a Messiah that's to come. And then you start the New Testament, and it's not just a brand new book. It starts out with the book of Matthew that's, that, that continually draws back, draws lines back to the, new, the Old Testament to say, listen, this was the foundation, this is the fulfillment. This is, the, this is why all this happened. This is what it was leading toward. Jesus is that Messiah that was promised. And that's what Matthew was saying. We see that in a few areas. First of all, we see it in the genealogy and birth of Jesus. Matthew starts his gospel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. If you want to turn there, you can. He introduces Christ as the seed of Abraham and heir to David's throne. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Already we see his purpose loud and clear. I'm going to write a book, and this part is going to be the generation of Jesus Christ. Christ meaning anointed one. Say, this is the anointed one. He is the seed of David and son of Abraham. He's drawing the line all the way back through all the Old Testament promises, the covenants that were made. He is the fulfillment of those things. We see it in his genealogy. We see it in his birth in that when, when you get, look at, there's two accounts of Jesus' birth. We have it in Matthew and we have it in Luke. And Matthew, it seems to emphasize that Jesus is the king. 
despite the fact that he's born into a manger, and despite all those things, we have Herod the king in the book of Matthew who, who gets all upset because a new king is born. And he goes and he tries to kill all the children. We also have the magi, the wise men. The, they show up in the book of Matthew. And they bring gifts that are fit for a king. And so he's showing it in Jesus' birth. We see in the genealogy itself the royal lineage of, of Jesus. So we see it in Jesus' genealogy and his birth. We see it in prophecies fulfilled. If you look at the book of Matthew, and if you were to read the whole thing and just mark off all the times that it said this is the fulfillment of the prophecy, you would find about 15 times throughout the book that that happens. If you were an incredibly skilled scholar in the Old Testament, and you were looking for all the prophecies, you would find 60 prophecies that were fulfilled in the book of Matthew. Okay, where Matthew doesn't necessarily point directly to it, but it's very clearly lining up with something that happened in the Old Testament, you would find 40 quotations from the Old Testament that Jesus was fulfilling. And so, I'll give you a couple examples of this. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, it said, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of, by the, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. And so this is Matthew's patterns. It's, this was written in the Old Testament. This is what was written. If you were to turn to Isaiah 7.14, you would see, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's almost exact parallel wording, a quotation from the Old Testament saying, here is Jesus, he is the fulfillment. That happens in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, about Jesus' time in Egypt, that he would go to Egypt for a while, and that the, the Messiah, the Savior, would come out of Egypt. Matthew chapter 2, verse 17, talks about the death of the innocents, that Herod would kill the children. Matthew chapter 4, verse 14, talks about Jesus' Galilean ministry, okay, that Jesus would minister in Galilee. And, and all of these things are, they're unique, Okay? It's unique that he was coming out of Egypt. It's unique that he would be ministering in Galilee and not just Jerusalem and not just, just Judea. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 17 talks about his healing ministry. Matthew chapter 12, verse 16 to 18 talks about the discreetness of his ministry, that, that he would not be trumpeting his healing and he wouldn't want everybody to know that he was healing people, but he'd be trying to keep it quiet. I mean, these are very specific things that are prophesied about in the Old Testament. And when we're, if you were to turn to these verses what you would find is Matthew direct, saying, this is what happened, and it was in fulfillment of this prophecy. And so he is drawing the line for us, saying that he is the, Jew, the Jewish Messiah. Matthew 13.35, Jesus teaches in parables. It's prophesied of. Matthew 21.4, that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a colt. It's prophesied of in the Old Testament. Matthew 27.9, Jesus sold for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 27, 35, that they would cast lots for his garments. Just such great detail that was prophesied of. And, and Matthew was just saying, look at people. Hey, Jewish, hey, Jews out there, you need to understand, this is the Messiah. He, he's actually, in a sense, the book is an apologetic. And if you were a Jew reading it, you would see an argument that was being made that Jesus is your Messiah. And you'd have to accept it or reject it. But he's making very clear drawing very clear lines between the life of Jesus and the Messiah that was prophesied. 
So this is not a comprehensive list. There's, there's much more, but the prophecies that are in the book of Matthew far outnumber the prophecies of the rest of the books of the New Testament, and it's because of his purpose. So we see it in the prophecies. We also see it in the claims of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 5.15, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So Jesus says, I have come to fulfill all of what's written in the Old Testament. Matthew 26.54. And here Jesus is just being arrested and he's just being taken away. And all the disciples are upset because this is happening. And Jesus says, But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? What he's saying is, this is what has to happen, guys. This is the only way for scripture to be fulfilled. Jesus is saying that his job here, he's going to suffer all these things because scripture must be fulfilled about him. We see it also. The claims of Jesus, the prophecies of Jesus... In his birth, we see it in the titles given to Jesus. He is called Christ, the Anointed One, 17 times in the book of Matthew. He's called the Son of David 10 times. And and that's fairly unique to Matthew. It's it's a few times in Mark and Luke, but it's not used very often. The Son of David, he's heir to the throne of David. He's the rightful king. And so Jesus wasn't just an Anointed One. He wasn't just a messiah but he was he was the kingly messiah he was the king that would come the son of david he is the son of man now we hear that title we think okay well that's not really talking about messiah that's more showing jesus humanity right except in look what daniel chapter 7 says about this title the son of man says i saw in the night visions and behold one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days And they brought him near before him. And there was given him, this son of man, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdoms which shall not be destroyed. I mean, what greater picture of the most powerful and incredible everlasting king? That's a beautiful prophecy. And every time that... Matthew calls Jesus the son of man. He says he is the son of man that Daniel spoke about. He's the king. We see it in the title, son of God. And Matthew uses this eight times. And so in the titles given to Jesus, we see clearly that his purpose is being fulfilled. We also see it in the literary content of Matthew. Okay, when we look at the content of Matthew, we see that he deals a lot with the traditions of Judaism. And so he's writing to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah. And one of the ways he does that is he points toward traditions. He w- points toward feasts and festivals and sacrifices that Jews would have known about. And he doesn't make an attempt to explain those things. When you read the book of Matthew, he just says the name of a feast, or he says a sacrifice, and he assumes his readers know what he's talking about. Whereas Mark, sometimes he does the same thing, but he explains what he means often. And so he's writing to a Jewish audience, and he's writing to show that he is the Messiah. We see it in the themes found, um, the themes of judgment, of of a kingdom that's coming, of salvation. Those are very Jewish themes, and and things that if the Jews that knew their Old Testament, they would pick up on immediately. Judgment, the kingdom, salvation. The, The word kingdom of heaven, that phrase is used 32 times in the book. 
so often. He's talking about this kingdom of heaven. And do you remember what the disciples, what they were so focused on during Jesus' ministry? And even after his death, their first question for Jesus was, or, or at least in the book of Acts, their, I guess their final question for Jesus, what it was? They were asking about the kingdom. When is your kingdom coming? And it seemed like all Jews were preoccupied with this idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. When is this going to happen? And Jesus, over and over again, speaks about the kingdom of heaven, speaks about the kingdom of God, and Matthew records it, because he's recording it for a Jewish mind. They would have understood it. They would have been more clear about what that kingdom actually was because of what Jesus said. Now, for Gentiles, when you say the word kingdom of heaven, I mean, they don't, you don't really get it. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's because it's rooted in the Old Testament. And so very clearly, all of these things point to the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah and King. And if you were to read the book of Matthew as a Jew, you, you, you could not doubt the fact that at least... Matthew is trying to make the argument that Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied about through the Old Testament. Okay? So the audience was the Jews around the world. He wrote the book in Greek. And so he wasn't speaking just primarily to the Jews that were in Jerusalem. He was speaking to the Jews all over the place. Okay? All around the world. And he writes to the Jews, but it's important to note that he presents a gospel that is for the world. And so yes, he is addressing a Judas audience. And, and in fact, in the book... Even the direction of Jesus' ministry seems to be directed first toward the Jews, and then it broadens as they reject him. And and it starts to go, you get more stories about Samaritans and Gentiles later on in the book. But his message is that, yes, he's a Jewish Messiah. Yes, he's the king that was promised, but he's the savior of the world. He is not just for Jews. We see that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 38, when Jesus is talking about the field, and he says the field is the world. It's the whole world. It's not just Judea. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, when he gives the Great Commission, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The commission, the job of the disciples, was not just to reach the Jews, it was to reach the world. Now, the fact that it was written to the Jews, what does that mean for us? Does that mean that it's irrelevant? Does it mean that we say, okay, well, I get that Matthew's timing the Old Testament. I'm just going to skip to the book of Mark because it's kind of more for me. I'm a Gentile mind. I'm going to go, or in fact, I just really love the Gospel of John, so why not just skip all the way to John and forget what's in the synoptics? Luke, Luke he's got a lot of detail, and so maybe just, just reading Luke would be enough. No, absolutely not. But... The fact that we know it's written to a Gentile mind should help us as we go to read it, to read it properly. Okay, so why are we doing a study like this? Why why am I telling you all those things? Well, because when we read this, we say, okay, well, he's, he's, he's fulfilling the Old Testament. So what do I learn about who Jesus is based on who he was presented as in the Old Testament? And then how does this Jesus, who is presented here, how does all of this, what I'm learning about him, now apply to my life? I'm going to give you a couple areas in a second that I think it helps us in. Before we do that, I just want to give you a really quick outline. I told Pastor today, my, my goal is not to give you long, detailed outlines because the truth is, when I get outlines given to me, I usually forget them. Okay, I'll tell you the outline for the Gospels. Birth, ministry, death, resurrection. Okay, and all of the Gospels follow that pattern. Okay, They're, chronologically, they all do that. And specifically with Matthew, this is how I would give it, especially in keeping with what we said the purpose is. And so I would say Matthew chapter 1 and 2 would be the presentation of the king. 
We have his genealogy and his nativity there. In Matthew chapters 3, verse 1 to 4, verse 11, we have the preparation of the king. And so that is his baptism, his temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to Matthew chapter 20, we have the proclamation of the king. This is his ministry and his proclamations. And it's very interesting that as we look at the book of Matthew, one thing that's unique to him is the amount of teaching that he records. Okay, Matthew, Matthew records five great sermons. And you can't find all of these sermons in other places in, in the Gospels. He starts in verses 5 to 7 with the Sermon on the Mount. In, verses, in chapter 10, I say verse, chapter 5 to 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 10 is the commissioning of the twelve apostles. Chapter 13, the parables of the kingdom. Chapter 18 is the kingdom greatness sermon. And then chapter 24 and 25 is the Olivet Discourse. And so when we look at, at the book of Matthew, and I say the, the proclamation of the king, this is Jesus proclaiming that he is king. This is Jesus proving in his miracles that he is king. This is Jesus teaching parables about his kingdom. It's the proclamation of the king. And then finally, Matthew chapter 21 to 28, the passion of the king. That would be a quick outline, a brief summary of what is in the book of Matthew. So, what are the lessons for us? How does this apply to us? If, if, if Matthew was written to the Jews, how do we get something from it? Well, I think, first of all, that what we should learn from this is that the Bible is one story. The Bible is one story. Okay? This is not a group of 66 books that stand alone. The author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit. Okay? There is one author. And the, this one author, he's telling stories through people, and we see their personalities reflected in what they write, wrote, but really all of these stories fit together into one beautiful picture. And so when we see Matthew's gospel, and, and we see how Matthew's constantly bringing in the, the traditions of the Old Testament, the laws of the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the, the feasts, uh, the prophets and what they wrote, the prophecies of the Messiah to come, when he's constantly drawing back and saying, look it, it's here, look it, this is Jesus, look, all of these things help us understand that this is just one story. And not only that, but Matthew's gospel focused on what Jesus said about the future. The Olivet Discourse is all about his coming kingdom. And so we see this whole picture in Matthew's Gospel, and we say to ourselves, listen, I have to read this properly as one story, as Jesus is the central figure of that one story. The Bible is one story, and God had this plan from the very beginning. And I think as we read Matthew's Gospel and we see all of this happening, I hope that we can stop for a second and say, God is genius. I mean, we, we know that. I know this. I mean, we know that he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. But do you realize that before he went and spoke to Abraham, Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world? I mean, I mean it starts, the book starts with the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it's kind of like, oh, this is how the story happened. But we can go back and say, listen, the whole story was that these prophecies were going to be fulfilled the whole time. This book, the book of Matthew, was written in the... the mind of the Holy Spirit, before any of this world began. Okay, he is the sovereign God of the universe. And this is just one story, and we are a very small part of it. But listen, God is in control. Nothing can thwart his plans. The second thing I think we learn is that Jesus is king. What does this book emphasize? Well, it emphasizes that he's the Messiah, but not just the Messiah. He's the kingly Messiah. He is the king. 
We see a Savior, yes, who came to suffer and die, and he did that in the book. But there's so much emphasis on God's kingdom, on what his kingdom is like, on who the king really is. We see the place of Jesus' heir to the throne of David, the coming king who will rule and reign forever. If we were to only read John's gospel, we would walk away certainly loving Jesus. He would be our friend. He'd be the friend of sinners. You know, you have great stories about him helping out the helping the prostitute. You know, who will cast the first stone? Great stories like that. But Matthew helps us bring into perspective that Jesus is not just a friend. He's not just compassionate. Not just kind. He's also a king, and he's a king that deserves to be worshipped. And if we're going to do our job as believers, we fall before our faith. We fall before the king with our lives, and worship him. Jesus is king. And the third lesson I think that this whole book draws out for us is that Jesus can save anyone. Here he's writing to the Jews. And yet his message for the Jews is, yes, he's the Jewish Messiah, but he is the, he is the savior of the world. And you are to go out as Jews that now believe on me to the entire world, Gentiles included. And it took them so long to get this into their heads. You see the, the thickness of the Jews, the, 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 Jewish, the disciples of Jesus. I mean, they didn't go where they were supposed to go right away. It took persecution to get them to start moving. It took visions from God to say, Peter, look it, you need to go to Cornelius. It took so much prompting. But here already in this gospel, we see that Jesus is the savior of the whole world, not just the Jews. The plan was for everyone. And when I was thinking about Matthew's gospel, you know, I, I thought about some of the, the stories and, and how we know that, we know Jesus can save anyone, right? That's, we understand that. But when we think of Jesus saving the worst of the worst, I, I think we often think about the woman that was caught in adultery, that story. You say, you know what, she was, she was broken, she was hurt, she was sinful, she was terrible, but she was fallen all in her face, completely broken. Jesus saved that woman. And it's an, it's an amazing story. And he certainly see, saves those. He saves the least of these. But do you know who else he saved in the book of Matthew? He saved Matthew. He saved Matthew. Now, Matthew, I mean, to me, I kind of now, at this point in my Christian walk, I, I see him, I see the compassion of Jesus, and I see him sa- saving the prostitute who has thrown her life away, but then turns to him with nothing. But here's a guy who is a traitor. I don't know if there's anything that bothers me more than somebody that's a traitor against your own people. You sold out to get more money, and now you're stealing from your own people, your neighbors, okay, your old friends. And you're ta- Jesus saves a guy like that, a guy that is proud and rich and wealthy and, and you know, just uh, no character. Absolutely, the murder on the cross. And the cool thing about the Gospels is that we see so many different people being saved. Jesus can save anyone. And that is a great lesson for us. His plan was worldwide. His plan was for everyone. The least of these, the worst of these. We see it in Paul. We see it all over the place. And so, see the Bible as one story. Worship Jesus as king. And then remember... He is the Savior for all of us.